rich man with a million or two. I'd live in a penthouse in a room with a view. In 1964, Sidney Poitier won the Oscar for Best Lead Actor for his role in Lilies of the Field. He was the first black man to win the Best Actor Oscar, and yet his best roles were still ahead of him. In 1967 alone, he starred in In the Heat of the Night, To Sir With Love, and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. His contribution to film history and the doors he opened are immeasurable and profound enough that in 2002, at the 74th ceremony, the Academy chose to honor him with a Lifetime Achievement Award. And in a moment of serendipity, or for feeling less charitable, guilt, the 74th Oscar ceremony, 38 years after Sidney took home his Best Acting Oscar, saw the second lead actor Oscar go to a black man, and for the first time, the lead actress Oscar went to a black woman as well. The joy of both Denzel Washington and Halle Berry as they took the stage, in front of Sidney Poitier no less, was palpable, and it's hard to deny that it wasn't a banner year for black people in Hollywood. Incidentally, the ceremony was also hosted by Whoopi Goldberg, the first black person to achieve an EGOT. But, much like Poitier's 1964 win, it soon became clear that this ceremony would remain an outlier rather than a turning point. In the 16 years since, only two other leading actor Oscars have gone to black men, and Halle Berry remains the only black woman to win Best Actress. I'm just a punky little eyeball And a funky optic noise Hey, I never told you this Sometimes I get a little blue Looks good on you But I wouldn't have nothing if I didn't have you Let's dance (laughs) Hello and welcome to For Your Reconsideration I'm Devin I'm Kyle And this week we are talking about the 74th Academy Awards held in 2002 Honoring the best films of 2001. Are you looking for confirmation? Yeah. Is that what we're doing? We are. Oh, good. Because that's what all my research has been for. Oh, we lucked out. Lucky. So we were alive in 2001. Yeah, we were. So, But I'm going to refresh you a little bit about what was going on the year that these movies came out. Buckle yourself in. Me? Yeah. Okay. On January 20th, George W. Bush was sworn as sworn in as the 43rd president of the United States. On February 18th, NASCAR legend Dale Earnhardt died in the last lap of the 43rd annual Daytona 500. I just, I included that because I just felt like he died so long ago, but it doesn't, I guess 2001 was a long time ago. I mean, yeah, it was a little bit ago, baby. I know. I just thought he died in like the nineties. Okay. Okay. In March, I'm glad he lived a little bit longer than the 90s. I'm gonna still stop talking taking about too it. soon, but well, yes, yes, it's tragedy. This was a year marked by tragedy. What number was his car? 28. <laughs> <laughs> Is that incorrect? Yes. <laughs> In March, the United States entered the early 2000s recession, and the unemployment rate rose to 4.4 percent. On August 25th, singer Aaliyah died in a plane crash. Again, taken too soon. If at first you don't see. <laughs> On September 4th, Robert Mueller became the FBI's director. He's had that job for a while. That's why I included that. I was like, what? 
We're almost done. I think all of our listeners have lived through 2001. I know. That's why they're quick. I only got two more. Okay. Uh, on September 11th. <laughs> why are you laughing? <laughs> Your energy was like so up. I only got two more. I only got two more. On September 11th. <laughs> uh, was the 9-11 attacks. I'm trying to bring the laughter down. Yeah. That was definitely a tragedy. Yeah. And uh, subsequently, on October 7th, the United States invaded Afghanistan, accompanied by other nations participating in Operation Enduring Freedom. That's 2001 in a nutshell. Oh, cool. Okay. Let's talk about the year in film. Sure. A little, a little bit. I can't happier. wait till we get to like 2002, 2003, when we see like the reflections of 9/11 and 2001 in general. Yeah, these movies are definitely, obviously, like. <coughs> Probably like mid two thousands. You start. Well, these don't things. count. Yeah, they weren't. These weren't reflecting. No, well, these the came out in two thousand one. Most yeah. of these were, you know, already yeah. done by the time. All right, that happened. But the year in film, a little less depressing. Uh, this year saw the start of several successful franchises, including Shrek, Fast and the Furious, The Ocean's Trilogy, Lord of the Rings, and Harry Potter. Damn. Yeah. That was like, yeah, that was a big year for franchises. It sure was. Um, on November 2nd, 2001, Monsters, Inc. opened with the best ticket sales ever for an animated film and the sixth best of all time. Great movie. It is a good movie. Uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Rings, of the Ring, both grossed more than $800 million, marking the first time that two films released in the same year grossed more than $800 million, million at the box office. Wow. Yeah. A lot of monies. Speaking of monies, let's talk about the top 10 films of 2001. Yep, let's talk about Spoiler it quickly. Spoiler about what's at the top. Okay. Number 10, Hannibal. Number 9, Planet of the Apes, which I assume that's the Mark Wahlberg one? Yeah, yeah. Mm, not the best. It's fine. No. It's fine. Mm, I disagree. Mm, it's fine. The ending is... I'm going to pick it for ourselves mental if you keep going. Okay. Number eight, <laughs> Jurassic Park 3. Was that a good one? No. Okay. Number seven, The Mummy Returns. Good. I haven't seen that one. I, remember, I mean, I remember liking it when I was 10 sure. or 11. 12? I don't know. <laughs> Number six, Pearl Harbor. See, I remember really liking that when I was a kid, and then I rewatched it when I was a little older, and I was like, oh, this isn't that good. Once you stopped watching it for only Josh Hartnett? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he's still a high point for sure. <laughs> Number five, Ocean's Eleven. Number four, Shrek. Number three, Monsters, Inc. Number two, The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Whoa. Ring. And number one. And I guess that makes sense. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's I guess that Stone. makes sense. I was kind of thinking it'd be the reverse, though. I mean, it was definitely... Just because, like, Lord of the Rings have been out longer, but, like... But Harry Potter features kids. Yes. I mean, it's, it was for it's kids, more, right? Yeah, it's for kids. Meaning, when you go to that movie, you're easily buying two additional tickets for adults. And you're going more than once. Like, a lot of times people yeah, take yeah, kids yeah. to movies Well, I mean, more than trust me, people want to go That's see Lord true. of the Rings far more than once, too. But, That's like... No, 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 I get it. That's true. You want to hear about a few notable film debuts from 2001? Sure. We got Bradley Cooper in Wet Hot American Summer. 
Mm-hmm. Anne Hathaway in The Princess Diaries. And Dakota Fanning in Tomcats. Wow. In what? Tomcats. I don't know. I don't even know I'm that, sure she was like an infant. I yeah, don't know. Yeah, she had to be. Jeez. That's true. <laughs> now we're on to some fun facts about the 74th ceremony. This was the first ceremony held in Hollywood since 1960. Uh, this year it was held in what has become known as the Kodak Theater, where it has been held ever since. Whoopi Goldberg became the first woman to host Wait, the awards. It's award not the Kodak solo. Theater anymore, though. Oh, it's not? No, it's like the Dolby Theater. Well, now. it's the same theater, though. Well, yeah, but you said what's known as the Kodak. It's not. What became known as the Kodak. And oh, I'm just saying okay. it's been held in that same theater since then. Gotcha. Okay. That's interesting. I've been there. Yeah. It's very nice. You were a seat uh, person, weren't you? No, I just took a tour of the theater. (laughs) But they had the little place cards of like where people had been sitting at the last Oscars. Ah, that's what it was. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know if you heard, but Whoopi Goldberg became the first woman to host the awards solo. Yeah. First one that you got too, you mentioned earlier, right? Uh Uh-huh. She's doing it all. Yeah. Uh, This ceremony was the first that introduced the best animated feature category. And that first award went to? Monsters, Inc. No, Shrek. Oh. Should have gone to Monsters, Inc. But. Shrek would do, no. Shrek was a crowning achievement. That movie is, like, seriously still hilarious. Yeah, Shrek is funny. I mean, but Monsters, Inc. I think is better. No, I mean, it's, you know, debatable. I mean, clearly. Yeah, because we're debating it. <laughs> well, in our spinoff podcast where we debate the best animated feature category, <laughs> we can which, talk about Wait, it, which movie made more money? Uh, paying attention Monsters, Inc. Made more money? Yeah, because Monster, yeah, Monsters Inc. was number three and Shrek was number four, so it was close. Oh, but technically, neck technically, Monsters Inc. All okay. right, well, that's it. That's all I got. You ready to talk about some movies? Sure am. All right, you did not give me any indication of what order we were going to go in for the movies this time. You for didn't ask. You always ask. Oh, do I? Yeah. Oh. Do you care? No. All right, we'll just go in the order I have it then. First up, Moulin Rouge. What? Why'd you go with that first? Because that's the order that it's in. Didn't that win? No. Oh, what won? <laughs> I'm so glad you're prepared for this podcast. <laughs> I was thinking that one. You thought Moulin Rouge won the Oscar for Best Picture? Yeah. Am I wrong? Yes. Oh, it just seems like that kind of movie. You know what I mean? It'll come back to me. It'll come back to me. <laughs> yeah. When, I've, when we've gone through all the other ones and it's yeah. the only one left thing is, is i can't think of all the other ones right now this is the kind of quality podcast <laughs> you guys are subscribing for it'll come back it'll all come back hmm. all right moulin rouge by baz lerman <laughs> produced by 20th century fox synopsis <clears throat> a poet falls for a beautiful courtesan whom a jealous courtesan. duke covets oh dude the duke it's like baz wrote that himself <laughs> oh baz uh, the script was written by Baz Luhrmann and Craig Pierce. Luhrmann was inspired by classic stories such as Orpheus and Eurydice, The Lady of Camillus by Alexandre Dumas, La Boheme and La Traviata. He was also inspired by a viewing of a Bollywood film stating, when I was in India researching Midsummer's Night's Dream, we went to this huge ice cream picture palace to see a Bollywood movie. Here we were with 2,000 Indians watching a film in Hindi, and there was the lowest possible comedy, and then incredible drama and tragedy, and then breakout in song. And it was three and a half hours. We thought, <laughs> we thought 
we had suddenly learned Hindi because we understood everything. We thought it was incredible how involved the audience were, how uncool they were, how their coolness had been ripped aside and how they were united in this singular sharing of this story. The thrill of thinking, could we ever do that in the West? Could we ever get past that cerebral cool and perceived cool? End quote. And the answer is yes. No. Oh. <laughs> Moulin Rouge was the first musical to be nominated for Best Picture in 10 years since 1991's Beauty and the Beast, which we covered earlier this season. I sure did. Just a couple episodes ago, right? Yeah. Uh, this film, which it is a musical, but all, it uses all mostly existing songs not original songs and the film uses so much popular music that it took Lerman almost two years to secure all the rights to the songs come what may the only original song in the film was disqualified from nomination for an oscar because it was originally written but unused for Lerman's previous film romeo and juliet and not written expressly for mulan Rouge. damn mm-hmm. try to sneak that one in baz yeah and apparently we're going by first name basis here when your name is Baz, I just feel like you have to, people just call you Baz. I only call him Mr. Lerman. I call him Baz. Mm. And uh, a Broadway adaptation of Moulin Rouge will premiere this summer in New York City. Oh, wow. I know. I felt like, too, that my phone was spying on me because we were watching Moulin Rouge. We paused it for a moment. I got on my phone and on Instagram there were ads for the Broadway show of Moulin Rouge. Now, granted, I get a lot of ads for Broadway shows already, so maybe it's just a coincidence. But I was like, and yeah, you be, why did you why did you pause the movie? And you got on your phone because you went to the gas station to get snacks. Oh yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> on Valentine's Day. <laughs> what? That's what you did. I did. It was necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you should start talking about Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge. A movie that I t- it took me forever to honestly see. Like I remember this Oscars and it winning things, and it looked really cool. And I think I watched it for the first time. We actually, I think, when we first got together, I had watched it, even though we were in separate cities. Oh, really? I watched it for the first time, yeah, in, at Carbon- in Carbondale. Oh, wow. And I really enjoyed it. Like, I really, really enjoyed it. And then this time I didn't. Oh. Yeah. Even though we watched it on Valentine's Day. Even though we watched it on Valentine's Day, I mean it really it really bored me. Um there was really it was it was all spectacle and no substance in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Which is like when you're looking into Moulin Rouge, I'm sure that's probably what you're going for and I get it. But yeah, I mean it goes all out there and I think at the end of the day, like you said it's becoming a real musical. It's just like I almost just wish it was a story set place in a musical world where they didn't use actual songs. Like, I kind of just wish it was its own thing. And I get that that's, like, kind of the appeal as it reworks and, you know, recontextualizes these these songs that already exist. But, like, for some reason, it all just fell super flat with me. And also, like, I was just annoyed by a bunch of little things, too, just throughout. And I don't know why. I don't know why I was so kind of not... I wasn't going with the flow of this movie, even though it's one of those movies you're obviously supposed to just, like, go with, you know, mm-hmm. on this journey. But it wasn't working for me. Sorry, Mr. Lerman. Wow. Earth Devon, are you there? Well, okay. I had you go first because this is another movie where I can... I can't be unbiased when I'm talking about it. Sure. So I definitely saw this movie. Uh, I mean, not when it first came out because we rented it the first time I saw it. But um, I was young. And it was like 
one of my favorite movies for like a long time. I would count it like within my like top three favorite movies of all time. Like I was obsessed with this movie and I like as a kid, I grew up watching musicals in general. Like that's just what I was into. And I remember like my friend that I grew up with, like we watched musicals all the time and we would, um, she came over every new year's Eve and we would have sleepovers and whatever. And so new year's Eve, we watched this movie for the first time and we watched it the first time and we were like, this movie is weird. Like, I don't understand what's happening. It's crazy. And we were both kind of like, eh. And then we just like kept watching it. And then we were like, every time we watch it, we love it more. And I became obsessed with it. I listened to both soundtracks. There's two soundtracks and I had both of them and I listened to them all the time to the point where like, we're, I haven't seen it in probably like, I don't know, 10 years. I don't know when the last time I saw this movie, but, um, we were rewatching it and I still knew all the words to every song. Well, they're all popular songs too, though. Well, yeah, but I mean, I'm not like sitting around listening to any of those songs that aren't the Moulin Rouge version. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's yeah, not, yeah. It's not a part of my life, but um, I just love this movie. And I really, I included that big long quote from Baz Luhrmann about his inspiration for it because I just thought it was really interesting the way he was inspired by Bollywood. And I do think this movie, like rewatching it now as an adult, because I haven't watched it since I was a teenager. But rewatching it now, I'm like, yeah, it is very over the top. Like the plot is super simple and very like melodramatic. But that's what I. It's so like highly stylized in every way. Like from not only from the way it looks, but like the plot elements. Everything is like so archetype and so like over the top that that's the charm to it. That's like what makes it so exciting and so beautiful for me. And I love it. I think it's like, it probably still is probably in like my top 30. 30? I really Wait, love Who this. has a top 30? I don't know. I'm just like saying like, it's not, I still really love it. I don't know why you're saying that. Like you're saying it's a good movie. You're saying I still love it. No, I'm just saying like, I really, really loved it when I was a teenager and I'm saying I still oh. love it now. Oh yeah. 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 That's all I was meant by still. Oh, well, you're just like top 30. You got a lot of love for this movie. Now you're like, just it's in my top 30. Yeah, I've seen like 10,000 movies. I okay. think that's... That's like on it. That's inaccurate. Good. Gotcha. No, I, I just thought you'd have this like much higher on your list because it meant so much to you. That's all. I know. Well, I don't know. It's not that good. I don't actually have like a top 30 fucking mapped out. I'm just saying no. like... I don't know why you're nitpicking this apart. <laughs> I just thought it'd be higher than top 30. Because well, that's assuming that it's more than 20. You know what I mean? That's all. Yeah. I don't know point is i still like it i still think like this is like one of nicole kidman's greatest roles wow i really do i think she's really good in this movie and i think that like well, i think everybody's really good in this movie um but i just think that this character for her is something that she doesn't really get to play a lot like it's so goofy especially in the first like half an hour of this movie she's so goofy yeah and she doesn't really play goofy very much no that's true and like, oh man, I'm with this movie at first, and then it just—I don't know, like, I—it just lost me. Like, it just wasn't. And I can't—I don't—I can't exactly pinpoint what it is. Exactly, I really can't. You know, it's just I was not vibing with it. I mean, I could definitely see where if this isn't—I can definitely see where people wouldn't be into this movie because I do think it has to like appeal to your sensibilities to a certain extent. And like for me, like, it checks off so many. Like, I love musicals. I love highly stylized things. Yeah, I love. You know, Nicole costumes Kidman. and makeup, yeah, and singing, yes. dancing. These are things I love. She literally made me watch a special feature of the tango dance. I did because it's so cool. I love that dance so much. 
because uh, yeah, I have like the special edition that has all these like yeah. <laughs> extra, extra extras. We'll extra call it extras. <laughs> but yeah, I love this movie. I can't be I can't be unbiased about it. What does Moulin Rouge mean? It's just the name of the cabaret. So it's got to mean something, right? Something red. red. Something. I don't red know what? what Mulan means. I don't know. Ooh. Theater? I don't know. Alexa, what does Mulan mean? The noun Mulan is usually defined as a nearly vertical shaft or cloudy one in the glacier by surface water falling the, through a Alexa, stop. That is incorrect. <laughs> I don't think she... This episode is not brought she took to you the by same. Alexa. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she heard me correctly. I think she was... There's an English version, yeah. maybe. So, so I mean, Moulin Rouge, definitely like an achievement visually and so beautiful. I mean, in everything, stylistically, musically, I get it. But I mean, not for everyone. I think I can I can fairly assume that. Not that yeah, I guess musicals are everyone. anyway, but yeah. I don't know. But if it is for you, it is like super for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So what did other people think about Moulin Rouge? Has a Rotten Tomato audience score of eighty nine percent and a critic score of seventy six percent. As far as its legacy, the American Film Institute on their twenty five and their list of the twenty five best movie musicals of all time is ranked at number twenty five. Wait, twenty five out of twenty five? Yes, I'm with that. Uh, at the Oscars, it was nominated for eight awards and it won two for costumes and production design. That makes sense. And at the box, bo- I can't talk. At the box office, it made $179.2 million. We're in the era of movies making a shit ton of money. Oh, yeah. Speaking of, next up, Lord of the Ring. Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Damn Ring. It, I didn't know which one was plural. I, like, forgot. <laughs> okay. Lord of the Just R- in the context of the movies, but. Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Yes. That's confusing. I don't think I'm the only one who gets confused by that. Directed by... Next year, she's going to be like, Lord of the Rings, The Two Tower. (laughs) Is that wrong? (laughs) Which, by the way, you just mentioned Moulin Rouge won for Best Production Design, and it didn't go to Lord of the Rings. That's that's crazy to me, actually. Well, yeah. What are you going to do? Lord of the Rings won it two years later, so... I I feel like that's a whole controversy in itself. I feel like they collectively got together and just said, we'll give it to them on the third one because we know one's coming out per year. Mm, I mean, I don't think that's what happened. I think that it took three years for them to be like, I guess we can give Oscars to this little genre movie. It's just like, I mean, honestly, I think that's the best one is the the thing, though. Oh. I think the first one's the best one. And like, or the first one is the best one, I mean. The first one is the best one. So it's like to give it all to Return of the King was just like, yeah. But that they were honoring the whole series, it felt like. I mean, what? So many people we'll win for again. not their best work. Do you know what I mean? DiCaprio. Right. Scorsese. Right. Trying to think of another example. I'm sure there's a million. Yeah. Uh, What's his face? Yep. Him. Yep. That one chick. Yep. Her too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Fellowship of the... R- <laughs> <laughs> Peter Jackson... Produced by New Line Cinema. Synopsis. A meek hobbit from the Shire. A meek hobbit. And eight companions set out on a journey to destroy the poor, powerful One Ring <laughs> and save Middle Earth from the Dark Lord Sauron. 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 Okay. Um, I like how, like, they assume you know what a hobbit is, but they'll describe that hobbit, too, as meek. He's a meek. 
little hobbit from yeah. the shire like you yeah. know what any of these things yeah are. right right it's um, like if they you know if, if their audience supposed to know what all those words why don't you just go frodo baggins right <laughs> like, yeah that's, so, that's so crazy uh the script was written by fran walsh philippa boyens and peter jackson based on the novel by J.R.R. tolkien Jackson began storyboarding the script and creating Middle Earth in 1997. That's a lot of time. This movie came out Just in 2001. Like that pause. <laughs> uh, a variety of techniques were used to depict the hobbits in Gimli the Dwarf as being diminutive stature. John Reese Davies, who played Gimli, happens to be the correct height in proportion to the Hobbit actor, so did not need to be filmed separately as a third height variation. Large and small scale doubles were used in certain scenes, while entire duplicates of certain scents, including Bag End and Hobbiton, were built at two different scales so that the characters would appear at the appropriate size. So crazy. Yeah. Um, at one point in the film, Frodo runs along a corridor in Bag End, followed by Gandalf. Elijah Wood and Ian McKellen were filmed in separate versions of the same corridor, built at two different scales, and a fast camera pan conceals the edit between the two. Forced perspective was also employed so that it would look as though the short hobbits were interacting with taller men and elves. Even the simple use of kneeling down, to the filmmaker's surprise, turned out to be an effective method in creating the illusion. I thought that was funny. They did all these like fancy things. They're like, oh, if you just like get on your knees, that works. <laughs> Those are all my facts about Lord of the Rings. And, I mean, it is quite a wonder to watch them do that. Like, I feel like you don't even think about it. You're just like watching and you're like, oh, they're just hobbits. And you're like, oh, no, those are like I mean, full I didn't, size people. I didn't as a kid. I didn't even like try well, yeah. to think about it. And then like, I think it was actually one of the special features that pointed it out. Which, by the way, if you're a movie lover in general, it doesn't matter if you like Lord of the Rings or not. The like special features that come with even like the basic editions of those of those movies are so fascinating and such a great look into filmmaking in general. It's 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 crazy because like New Line spent like or had no. What am I trying to say? They spared no expense. Expense, yeah, at like even just the bonus features of that stuff. It's all so well done. It's so well documented. It's just it's crazy to see that that type of filmmaking at hand. Sorry, yeah. Cool. No, that's cool. Do you want me to start? Yeah. Um. Okay. So I had seen Lord of the Rings before, but like I haven't seen them. Last time I saw any of these movies was when they were in theaters. So it's been a long time. Um. And then when I was when I saw them in theaters when I was a kid when I was whatever it was eleven or twelve. Um. I liked them. And I feel like I, you know, that's the, my feelings haven't changed much. I'm like, oh yeah, they're fine. I'm not gonna go to like conventions and shit, but like, it's fine. It's cool. I definitely think like it's very impressive what Peter Jackson did as far as basically building a shire and all the production design stuff. I do think is you know very impressive. Uh, the special effects, the special effects. I mean are good i think that they look a little dated some look a little dated now they do the like opening war thing i've i've noticed in these movies that we watched from 2001 there was a lot of like slow motion was very big they liked putting things in slow motion for no apparent reason that happened in like every movie anyway i think that like some of the things look a little like but that's just you know any special effects is gonna look like that unless you're doing practical effects 
What? Nothing. That's so rude. <laughs> just, I'm, I'll wait for you to finish. Okay. Um, but no, I think like I think I won't disagree that this is like not an achievement in filmmaking. It definitely is. Do I want to watch it again? No, I don't. What about its sequels? I mean, I have to for this podcast. <laughs> um, otherwise, I would not care. <laughs> <laughs> I know how it ends. They destroy the ring. It's all going to be fine. I like literally cannot think of like I can think of one other movie we had to watch for this year, and I cannot think of the other two. This does not bode well. Oh yeah, wait, no, no, I remember, I remember. Oh, never mind, never mind. Okay, great. Don't listen to me. I figured it out. Am <laughs> I can I talk about Lord of the Rings now? Yeah, please do. Yeah, it's a. You're wrong about the special effects, though. Like I think I know what you're talking about. You're talking about like where they originally cut off the ring from Saruman's hand. Yeah. Yeah, it has like a glossier look because it's like taking place in the past, and that's how they separate stuff. And well, like, I think it looks bad. Ancient, but it doesn't. It's a thing. It doesn't look bad. It looks really good. Mm, I disagree. This, oh my god. <laughs> this is no, seriously. The effects still hold up, and that is like what well, actually one of the crowning achievements of this movie visually is like the effects do hold up so so well, and a lot of that stuff is practical. No, so. yeah, that's what I'm saying, and I do think a lot of it does hold up. I just think there were some things that if if Peter Jackson were more like a George Lucas, he might go back and like, <laughs> you know, tinker with a little bit. Knock on wood, geez. <laughs> no, I'm not even like. I mean, I'm not even a big fan of these. Like, I know, I know a lot of fanboys. One of my best friends is a fanboy of these movies and, and the books uh, as well. But um, I loved this movie when it came out. I owned it on. I think I literally went to Walmart at like midnight the night it came out on DVD and bought it. In fact, I said I think I know for a fact that's what happened. Fell asleep watching it. Still had to go to school the next day. Uh, but I just love this movie. I've seen it so many times. Um, I forgot how much I actually liked it. I just apparently at one point decided I didn't care about Lord of the Rings movies anymore. But after rewatching it with you the other night, man, I do really enjoy this movie. I find it almost flawless, actually. I think even the runtime, which I hate long runtimes. Like, yeah, hate, that's way hate, too long. hate long runtimes. This movie flew by for me. Flew by. We stopped it. And finished it the next morning. Because you fell asleep. I know, but don't Not say that like, it I flew did. by because like we didn't did. watch it My all the way through. It flew by. I don't care. I was enjoying it. I was with it. None of it. The runtime did not bother me at all. And don't don't not try to put your faults on my. I'm review, not putting okay? my faults on you. I'm just you're saying like it flew by like we just sat down for three hours and watched it. And I'm just pointing no, out. I'm talking that about we... the runtime. Okay, I'm just saying though that we did split it up. I, I hear you, and I also experienced that because you fell asleep. I did fall asleep, which no I also reason. think speaks to how I feel. During about one of this the most movie. exciting parts of the entire movie. I mean, it's questionable. <laughs> oh my god, you're <laughs> there. It's within the minds of Moria. It's like the it's like the big action sequence besides the end in this whole movie. Okay, like in my defense, I was just very tired. You're making me sound like a nerd trying to defend this stuff. <laughs> not, there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying, uh, this is one thing I'm not nerdy over, but you're making me sound nerdy over Lord of the Rings. Sorry. Man, it's super good. Probably should have won Best Picture. Wow. We'll, we'll discuss that later, though. More in depth when I figure out the last movie that I can't. <laughs> Once you figure out what did win Best Picture? No, I know what won. Okay. I'm just missing one more in my head of, mm -hmm. uh, of what we're talking about. It certainly deserves to win over what won Best Picture, but we'll get there. Oh, wow. Okay. Spoilers. You're doing a little foreshadowing. Yeah, for I probably our shouldn't be doing that. Sorry. That's fine. Um, I will say I thought the performances were pretty good. 
here's what here's what i'll say to you why i think i'm kind of like lukewarm about lord of the rings is that we're also in the midst of a game of thrones rewatch getting ready for the final season of game of thrones and i just think that like i'm not super big into fantasy and i think that i'm more into the like low fantasy of game of thrones and the high fantasy of um lord of the rings and i also think that like and i don't take this away like obviously there would be no george R. R. martin if there wasn't a J.R. tolkien do you know what i mean like i fully understand that but i also think that like with the lord of the rings stuff where the characters are a little bit more distinctively good and distinctively evil and the good people wear white and the bad people wear black like to me i just find like the game of thrones stuff like more interesting where everyone is more shades of gray and uh so i just think like watching those things like back to back just like made me a little bit less interested in lord of the rings why i just can't believe me that comparison but um you can't believe I'm comparing Lord of the Rings to no, Game of Thrones. No, because it's, they're two totally different things. It's I mean, like, they're, you're, they're... You're, it's easier to compare like Lord of the Rings to like Star Wars than it is like Lord of the Rings to. I like Star Wars better too. Well, yeah, I mean, Star Wars is the better property. <laughs> There's no no one's arguing that, eh, Devin. No, but like, dude, production design, score, acting. Oh my god, I hated the make, score for this makeup. movie. Oh. My, oh Dude, the score was dude, not. You are going to give me a heart attack. I hated it. What are you talking about? I didn't like it. Put me to sleep. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> oh, my God. Just everything about this is it's like a, it's like a master class in filmmaking, in my opinion. So just maybe less on acting, but like mostly a master class in all the technical aspects. Anyway, why don't you just jump in before you got anything more negative to say about this? All right. Well, other people agree with you more than me because it has a Rotten Tomatoes audience score of 95% and a critic score of 91%. As far as its legacy, the American Film Institute on their uh, 10th anniversary list of the 100 best films of all time, it ranked at number 50. And when they did their 10 top 10 lists, it was ranked as the number two fantasy film. I thought you were going to ask what number one was. I, was I mean, ready. I expected you to just say it because that's what you thought you were doing. Uh, do you want to know what number one is? Yeah. It was Wizard of Oz. Wow. It's fair. Um, at the Oscars, it was nominated for 13 awards and it won four for cinematography, visual effects, makeup, and score. Oh. <laughs> Wild. And at the box office, it made $871.5 million. was the second highest grossing film of the year. And the 68th highest grossing film of all time domestically. Wow, the 68th. Yes. That's crazy. Yes. That's wild. That's not imagine. adjusted for inflation, though. Yeah. That's just oh, okay. number 68. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think I think it moves down like a little bit when you adjust it for inflation. But okay. I went with the one that it was higher at. Next up. What movie are we talking about now? In the Bedroom. In the Bedroom. By Todd Field, produced by Miramax. Synopsis? A New England couple's college-aged son dates an older woman who has two small children and an unwelcome ex-husband. That is the first 15 minutes of this movie. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) The movie was written by Todd Field and Robert Furstinger, based on the short story Killings by Andre Dubas. Oh, that would have been interesting going in. I wouldn't have seen, you know, 
what comes after that first 15 minutes. If it was called Killing Spree. Yeah, I mean, it would have been, like, I guess a little bit more suspect. Was that in the credits? Did it say, like, based no, on... No, it said it at the okay. end, in the end credits. Oh, okay, okay. Because... Uh, trust me, the first killing is quite uh, a surprise for me, anyway. Yeah, it won't be for you guys now that we've yeah. just said that, but... And, you know, obviously, actually, now that I think about it, like, with trailers, which I don't ever remember seeing a trailer for this movie, obviously, but, like, with trailers, it had to have revealed that he died. You know what I mean? Otherwise, like, what is the movie you're advertising? Do you know what I mean? So, like, most people had to have known this was coming, I guess. Which, if that's the case, damn, it took a long time to get there. Yeah. Oh, my God. Snooze fest until that point. I have one more fact, and then we can talk about Oh, yeah. And you can get into how much you hated this movie. I didn't hate it. Okay. Well, In the Bedroom was the first official Sundance Film Festival film to get an Academy Award nomination for Best Picture. Wow. It received the most nomi- hate. <laughs> it received the most nominations of any film that premiered at Sundance until Precious in 2009. Hmm. Do you want to talk about the film now, or no, do you want me to talk you about can it? Go. Um, so I'd never heard of this movie before, never seen this movie before, knew nothing about it going into it. Um, sometimes you know that sets you up to be like pleasantly surprised. Yeah, for sure. Sometimes you're just like. Maybe there's a reason no one talks about this movie, which I think that this one falls a little bit more under that category. And I, but I don't know. I think maybe if I did know more about what it was about, maybe I would have like, it just took so many turns for me because I didn't know where it was going that I was just like, what am I watching? Like, what is happening? It took a ton of turns for you? Like yeah, more than one? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, the turn when the first killing happens and then the turn of how... Tom Wilkinson decides to deal with that. That was a turn <laughs> I didn't see coming. Fair enough. Okay, fair enough. Um, remember the remember the story it's based on, people. <laughs> That's I know Devin mixes everything up. No, that was killings with an S. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but it doesn't. You don't know that either for like a no. long time. Yeah, it seems like a super bad idea for a while. Not that it's a good idea, but anyway. I'm, like, trying not to spoil it, even though we're, like, full-on spoiling things. It's been some time. It has been. But I don't think people have probably seen this movie. But I don't recommend they do. Sure. Um, <laughs> I was just... I guess I was just, like... It took so many turns. I think that if I had a better understanding of what it was, like, maybe I would have gone into it with, like, better expectations and enjoyed it more. Because I do think it, like... is a little... I think what it was trying to do is interesting of, like, looking at a couple and how they're dealing with tragedy within their family... I think that's an interesting idea. I don't think that it was executed in the most scintillating way. But I mean, Tom Wilkinson and Sissy Spacek are very good actors. And I think that they could have done more if given more. I just don't think that they were given what they needed to make this worthwhile. That sounds so mean. And I don't mean to sound mean. Well, you are. I just called this movie not worthwhile. And that's rude. But uh, it's just a very slow movie. Yeah. You know what I would have done to make this movie better? What? I would have not had the first, like, 20 minutes at all, which is where we meet the son, and we're going through this whole thing with what his... I would have had it um, open up funeral. You find out it's the son in his casket, blah, 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 blah. You get 
you see the wolf, you know, you see the, the parents opposite, you know, it's their son. And then you see the woman you're like, who's this? Is that his wife? And then it's just like slowly explained, like what happened? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then she sees, she sees the guy who killed their son in a store right away. And then now we know that's the guy. Mm-hmm. And then grief, 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 kill, kill, done. I put an extra kill in there to throw you people did. off. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. But do you know what I mean? Like, I honestly, like, and I hate to do this because I hate when people do this. My friend Mike is a prime example. Every time we get out of a movie, he's just like, you know what I would have done? And I never do that. But, like, I know I could have pulled a better version of this movie out of my butt. You know what I mean? Like, I really do. And that was one of the things that frustrated me is, like, I felt like for to gotten all these awards at Sundance or whatever else, it's like, and that is like a type of movie we see more and more now. So maybe it was like ahead of its time a little bit. Yeah. But because like maybe there's more stuff like that now thematically and, and execute wise, they've done it better. Cause like this is just honestly, it's like a shoddy example of something that you know should be really good. And for it to get yeah. all this attention, especially nominated for best picture, it's like so boring. Hate the title. Yeah, it, the title is really dumb, and the way they like force an explanation of what it means. Yeah, in oh is my like, god, it's a gag me. Yeah, but dude, seriously, could you imagine again? Like, do you think with with honestly what I just gave you, and don't just say this because you're my girlfriend of seven years, do you think that would make for a better movie? Wait, I, wait, wait. Also, different end shot. I don't even remember the end shot. Oh, I'll get to it. Okay. Well, do you think that would have made for a more interesting movie to lose even just that first 20, 25 minutes, which I think drags the movie to a halt? Yeah, pass. I think, yeah, those changes would be better. I also think the way that it's filmed in general, just kind of the first part, it just makes it feel like it's some cheesy yeah. romance movie. We're, talking, wait, we're getting rid of that. Okay. I'm asking you without that. Well, I was just saying, I think that it never really loses that like flavor, though. Do you know what I mean? Of like, I I disagree. Oh, I disagree. I strongly disagree. I think like once we get past that opening scene, it's no longer has that tone at all, which was like another huge problem for me. There's this complete tonal shift in the movie. Yeah. Let's just start depressing and be depressing rather than like, I don't know. It kind of that also goes to show that like maybe, you know, eye for an eye makes the whole world go blind. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I agreed with you. I thought that that would be garbage good. execution, and, and for I think all around in this. But I think Tom Wilkinson, and uh, sorry, what's the actress? Sissy Spacek. Sissy Spacek. I like. I honestly think they were pretty good. I didn't understand like a lot of their scenes together. Like I honestly don't like. I I think I said this to you. I was like, did yeah. you expect that to happen when they had that like blow up about like I don't know during their grief session? I guess yeah. Whatever. About how they yeah, were. Did you? But I, I didn't notice it. Like I didn't even notice that they were like having problems together. Oh, yeah. Because it just kept showing them apart, which I guess is like saying one thing for yeah. sure. Do you know what I mean? But, yeah. I mean, and in the end, like, I, d- I don't really like the way it ends, and I usually like endings that do that. And I won't, I, there's no point. It just ends on a shot of him being upset or whatever, but. I literally like, can't even remember the last Oh, shot. they're in bed. Like, it's at the night. It's the morning after. Yeah. And she gets out of bed or whatever to make coffee or whatever. Oh, and, and then it's just, he's, he's like. He's like still. Yeah, I think regretting probably his mistakes. Wow, we just like ruined the whole movie. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was justified. Yeah, I don't know, but like, yeah, the movie. I think definitely. I've never even like heard cinephiles or even just like anybody in general, like anybody I know, say anything about in the bedroom. And I think that's just because it didn't really work, and maybe it was possibly a misfire for best nomination or for best picture nomination that year. 
Yeah. I mean, I think that it's it's cool and it definitely signals a change that we're kind of still seeing where, you know, independent movies were getting nominated for Best Picture. This is a Sundance movie that got nominated. Yeah. And that's cool. And I think that that definitely, you know, helped open some doors for some better movies to get to get some recognition at the Oscars. So that's cool. Um, I do think, I don't know. I do think this movie has potential. I just, I agree with you. I just don't think it was executed uh, all that well. No. Also, what is Todd? What's Todd Field, you said? Yeah. What else has he made? I have no idea. Do you okay. Look no, no, no. That's not, that's not really important. I was just curious to see if he's made kind of things in the similar nature or, yeah, or not at all. Yeah, I was thinking that. I was like, I've never heard of him either, which does, I mean, yeah. there's plenty of working directors that I haven't heard of. But, For sure. But I don't know. So. Okay. Well, see what other people had to say about it. Okay. It has a Rotten Tomatoes audience score of 81%. Pretty high. And a critic score of 93%. Even higher. Mm-hmm. Um, it has not been named to any notable lists. Sure. At the Oscars, it was nominated for five categories and won zero. Whoa. Seriously? Yes. Total snub? What was it nominated for? Uh best picture i think both of them had acting nominations i think marissa tomei may have gotten a supporting actress nomination and maybe screenplay okay I think. like adapted screenplay yeah i think so okay yep um one zero at the box office it made 43.4 million dollars which sounds low but it had a budget of 1.7 million dang and Boom. you double that for marketing that's still a ton of profit I made some money everybody got their money back on that one yeah harvey made some money it's not oh, great shit. guys <laughs> not great was that a mirror max picture did it you say that you said was, that yes, didn't you it was a mirror max picture dang so yeah there we go <laughs> i was just listening to uh i was just listening to a podcast today and they were talking about actually like what miramax and weinstein company used to do or whatever it's like they would literally film content for trailers like specifically have extra things filmed so then like you know it would make for a better trailer or like not have to give away as much or you know what i mean it's just kind of oh, like get the vibe down but not necessarily exact trip to screen i just thought that was interesting yeah mm-hmm. is this your corner called harvey weinstein was a genius we should all recognize wow <laughs> <laughs> Uh, delete that from the podcast. <laughs> Never mind. No interesting facts for me. I'll leave all the interesting facts to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, let's move on and talk about a less problematic film. Yes, I'm so excited to hear what this movie is. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one you can't remember? Mm-hmm. You ready? Yeah. It is Gosford Park <laughs> by Robert Altman, <laughs> produced by USA Films. All right. To be fair, this is the first one we watched, and it was like well yes. over a week ago we both got a little sick which has delayed our recording so we're a yeah. little further out from yeah from our watchings from our first watching gosford park damn gosford park synopsis the lives of upstairs guests and downstairs servants at a party in 1932 in a country house in england as they investigate a murder involving one of them <gasps> Uh, the f- script was written by Julian Fellows. This was his first feature film, which, if you don't know, he went on to create a little show called Downton Abbey. Has a few similarities to this movie. <laughs> uh, in 19... 19- but, but what do you want to say? Based on, on an idea by Altman and Bob Balaban. So really... This is literally my next fact, but I'm glad oh, that you Oh, dang. 
Sorry, it just sounded like you were about to, you know, whatever. I'm sorry. It's okay. No, go ahead. In 1999, Bob Balaban asked Robert Altman if there was something they could develop together, and Altman suggested a whodunit. Altman wanted to create an Agatha Christie-like country house murder mystery that explored that way of life. He called the film a, quote, classic situation, all suspects under one roof. See, okay. So, yeah, you're, Bob Balaban and him developed the story Right, together. but I want to know, like, if they took a script, like a script that had been going around by Julian Fellows, and then just, like, kind of adapted that. No, they told Julian Fellows they, this is what they wanted. But then why did they pick Julian Fellows, is my question. I think he wrote theater before. Okay. So I think he had was already, like, writing similar things to this for theater. But then, then are Bob Balaban and Robert Altman credited for Downton Abbey at all? Because no. How, though? Well, no, because, I mean, there's plenty of other things. There's also a miniseries from the 70s called Upstairs, Downstairs, which is very similar. Very similar. So. Oh, okay. So this wasn't an original idea necessarily. No. Okay. The okay. idea of, you know, servants and this, I mean, it's very Agatha Christie as well, too. You know what I mean? Like, this is a this is type of storytelling, especially in, like, England, that I think is okay. very common. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I thought it was just, like, it was so weird that there no. was a connection, I mean, like, but Dan I didn't Abby know there was a similar to this. It just in the fact that I guess it I just don't know follows English the culture family well. and the servants. Yeah, but sure. there's a lot of stuff like that. Okay, okay. Yeah. And there's not a murder in Downton Abbey. Uh, no, there's not. In, in a single season of that show, there's not one murder? Mm-hmm. You're trying to think like, oh, let me think of all the things that happened in that show. Oh, it's hard to think of one. There was like a... <laughs> there was like a... Mm, Someone's getting framed for murder. I don't know. But I don't think, I don't know if that person is actually murdered. Okay. Someone stole the silver one day. <laughs> no. Everyone was in a fuss. <laughs> Everyone was like, where's the silver? Yeah, it was like, a, there was one summer where it was like quite hot. <laughs> <laughs> that was a full season. Yeah. I'm just being like, oh, it's warm. <laughs> Maggie Smith's just bitching about it. It was uh, quality television. Uh, so good. Jokes aside, I do love Downton Abbey. I just yeah, want to put that out there. Okay. Well, like early seasons, but anyway. Oh, <laughs> not the later, se- the <laughs> not lesser. Not after Julian Falls got all pissy and killed Dan Stevens. Yeah. Okay. Sounds like someone died then. He was in a car accident. Oh. He was murdered by Julian Falls. He decided he wanted to leave the show, but he was like open to coming back for subsequent things. And then Julian, like from what I hear, this is all like rumor. What I was not, I don't talk this to is like Julian Legion. about it. This is like Legion. And yeah. Okay. And, um, he just killed him off, which completely ruined the entire point of the fucking show. Whoa. So it's just really stupid. But like the whole point of Downton Abbey, the whole like guiding storyline, like structure to it is like the succession rules of who's going to inherit the house. And basically like Mary can only inherit it if she marries. I can't think of his name. No, Dan Stevens, her cousin, whatever. She's to marry her cousin. They're like distantly related. Okay. And so they fall in love and do, but then he dies. And it's like, well, then. Well, then the, what? So what's the point? What's the point of what? That was the whole plot. She's still entitled and got the house, right? No. I mean, technically, they already had a son, so then he could inherit it. She can't inherit it now. She still couldn't inherit it. Well, damn, that's drama. I mean, it wasn't, though. Oh, okay. Julian Fellows is very much, and Downey Abbey is very much like, Oh, here's a problem. Oh, we've solved it. It's pretty much how it goes. <laughs> Doesn't like to be challenged that uh, Julian no. Fellows, does he? Okay. 
All right, enough shitting on Downton Abbey. Back to Gosford Park. Oh, yeah. Forgot, forgot what our podcast was about for a I second. <laughs> uh, Gosford Park <laughs> was shot with two cameras, both moving perpetually in opposite directions. The cameras pointed toward no specific area, area intended to cause the audience to move their eyes throughout the scene. Altman noted that most of the film's cast had experience in the theater and in film, meaning they had acted in situations where the view of the audience is not on one specific actor, and each audience member sees a slightly different image of the players on stage. Which I thought was interesting. Which is why I I'm sorry, it. are they telling me that they didn't, f- like, they framed so the audience would have to look? What? Are they, what? They're saying that they didn't frame. <laughs> that's yeah, that's, that's incorrect, though. That's incorrect. I promise you, I did not have to like strain any way to, to see what was going on. I did not think. Well, you didn't camera- have to strain, but I think that they were moving the cameras in different ways and picking up what everyone was doing. So then in the editing room, you kind of can, you know what I mean? It's not like they were off camera, so they were just sitting like a lump on a No, lump. no, but like, it's making were- me think that the camera's like moving and then you have like these characters on the left side of the frame and then just like nothing's happening all in this negative space over here. Do you know what I mean? I know, but in every single frame of that movie, there's like 20 people. That's in a true. Room. There's a lot going on. I think actually, actually, no, I think that's pretty interesting. I did the camera it. movement actually just made, made it work a lot. And I'm not a, usually a huge fan of a constant moving camera. In fact, I, I typically hate it, but for some reason it really worked here in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was the only Best Picture Oscar nominee of the year to also be nominated for Original Screenplay. And in the DVD commentary, director Robert Altman stated that he included the F word several times on purpose to get an R rating because he didn't want kids to see the movie. He thought kids wouldn't like the movie, so he wanted to keep them out. What a badass Robert Altman did. I, mean, I thought that was so funny. He was like, you know what? Kids aren't going to like this. Let's just say fuck a few times so that they don't right. know. Wait, you don't like Robert Altman, right? Uh, I don't like MASH. Okay. I don't think this movie did not have the same issues that MASH did. No, sure didn't. I mean, he's also like 90. Yeah. This is, you know, many years after MASH came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want me to go? I think, you know, um, a a nice little movie. Let's say that. I don't know about best picture quality. I think the reason this feels maybe like bigger than it actually is because there are there are some like star studded roles. Um, some of them to yet to become stars, mm-hmm. uh, some of them currently stars, but, and I can see it being appreciated because they all, it's like, it's like the, I don't even know how they did the billing of this movie because they all almost carry an equal weight here, it's just which I think is really interesting to see. You don't have like Helen Mirren as a star. In fact, she probably has less than 30 lines. You know what I mean? And like, but she's a huge name in it, you know? Everyone's carrying their own weight, and it's it's really it's really cool to see. And like that set had to be. I mean, all of Altman's films feel like it's just actually a documentary capturing real events because overlapping dialogue, you know, a million things going on. Those actors are always doing something else; they're never just sitting there, you know. And I, it was very it was really entertaining to watch such like a boring premise because yes, until there is a murder. All we are is seeing servants interact with other servants. Some guy faking being Irish, and Brian like faking yeah, being and Irish. like rich people being rich and and annoying. That's like all you're seeing for like a but, long time. Yeah, for like a really long time. But it manages with like with the camera movement Devin mentioned and and uh, just the characterizations and the constant witty fast dialogue. Well, it's not even all witty, but like. It's just fast dialogue. It is giving you like the exposition you do need, but like also just entertaining. 
it just kind of like it's just a movie that works again don't know if it needs to be nominated for best picture at the end of the day but it is i mean it's a fine film that i would recommend for sure i uh i really liked this movie and again i'm someone who willingly watches down abbey so this is like in my wheelhouse again yeah, yeah. but um I really liked it. I like the ensembleness of it and how there is so much going on. Um, and the cast, I mean, the cast is freaking nuts. Like everyone in it is like, and even people where you're like, Oh, I'm not sure who that is, but you're like, I recognize them. I definitely like have seen them in things before, even if you don't know their name. Yeah. But most of them, you also just know their name. And, uh, my one, my one, thing is that like some people i had trouble in the first like 15 minutes or so keeping people straight <laughs> yeah because they would like say names and i'm like i don't know who that is like who oh, are you yeah. talking about exactly is that tywin lannister what because <laughs> like, the 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 servants have names because they're people yes <laughs> but then they're also just referred by by the staff of the house as the last name of the people they serve yes to just keep everything kind of straight yeah and that's so frustrating. It is frustrating. I was just like, there was a long time I was like, I don't know who they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but okay. Um, I will say that I thought the pacing was like a little off just in that, like you were saying, it took a long time for the plot to kind of reveal itself with the murder that happens. Like that happened so far into the movie right. that I was like, at first I was like watching, I was like, maybe nothing's going to happen. Maybe this is just it. We're just watching them on this hunting weekend you know um i was like oh no something happened that's cool but um <laughs> like that's cool too. something did happen but it took so long but then i did kind of like you know the way that it's revealed who was involved in the murder it's one of those things where like it's well written because like it had been laid in there so discreetly yeah. earlier when yeah. you didn't even realize that exposition was happening so then when you get to like the reveal it's like oh that was there the whole time and you're like that's you know that's good writing i do think that, that was well done um and i think and honestly like that is what recommends this film is the script and the performances the acting again how would they have advertised this movie without describing a murder or showing a mur murder in the trailer, like a referencing murder. Yeah, I have to imagine. But then you're watching did. this movie and you're like 45 minutes in, you're, you're like, like, who's going to die? <laughs> when? Well, then I could kind of see if you're watching it because there are, there's a lot of intrigue stuff going on with like both the servants and the rich people where it's like, oh, is this person going to be the person that dies? Is this person going to be the person that dies? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, sure. That's true. Whereas I, like, That's true. When I was watching, I was like, I kind of remembered knowing that there was a murder, but then I was like, maybe not. Yeah. Whereas if I went in there, like knowing that there was going to be a murder, I could have been doing that too, you know? Yeah. There had to be a murder in this movie. Otherwise, I don't know what I would have been watching. You would have watched an episode of Downton Abbey. Right. Sounds fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to make an effort after just kind of talking about this and in the bedroom to like watch the trailers, but like after the movie. Yeah, I think we should do that. Okay. Cause I mean, we say that, I, I, I think like every episode. No, we don't. I've never said We've that said before. We've said it before. Yeah. I've never, go back, go back. Who's our, who's our uh, historian here? I don't think we got one of those. Adrian. He's our sound recorder. Adrian, make sure to go back and check, uh, check the speed for that. <laughs> check the speed. <laughs> Thanks, Adrian. 
we don't have a sound recordist. Uh, no. Yeah. Kyle is our sound recordist. I don't know where Adrian came from. Yo, Adrian, Yo. Uh, go back. Adrian. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, Gosford Park has a Rotten Tomatoes audience score of 78% and a critic score of 86%. It has not been named to a notable list as of yet. As of yet. <laughs> At the Oscars, it was nominated in seven categories and won one for Best Original Screenplay. Mm -hmm. At the box office, it made $87.8 million. Has AFI ever updated a list in like the last 15 years? I don't think so. Okay. I feel like they just like gave up on okay. their lists. Like who mentions our They're lists? Like, people don't watch this anymore. No. I would. I would too. I loved those. I loved them too. AFI, if you're listening to our podcast. Which you should be. Which obviously you should be. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a five-star rating and then bring back lists. We'll help. Yeah, Actually, Devin is really good at research. I'm really good at reading Wikipedia. And she does tables. And then copy and pasting it. She makes tables. Like Devin is right now creating a crazy spreadsheet. I do have a spreadsheet. Of Oscar stuff. It's like Oscar quite amazing. Stats. And I think at one point, at some point you should share it. With, yeah. With the I world. want it with the world. I don't want yeah. to share it with the world. Why? Because then they'll steal it from me. And hopefully do good with it. Maybe. Yeah. We'll see. You can make it uneditable. <laughs> <laughs> I want to right now. I have right now my my giant chart is just Oscar winners and like my goal, um, if I ever have time to do, it, is to like make a similar chart for all the nominees as well. But that's a lot Dude, of work. How have you not created a chart to like try to solve a murder? That seems like right up your alley. I mean, if I ever find a murder that I think I could solve, I probably will. Like I'm gonna solve John Bunny Ramsey's murder. Like probably not. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So I would just look crazy if I had a chart. You gotta find one of those murders like not covered in a Dateline special yet. Yeah. But something like within fifty miles, so you can go. Do I don't do some interviews or. That some. sounds like I'm gonna get murdered if I start poking around. You're right. That does sound murder. bad. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah, sound safe. No, no, no. You want to talk about the film that won Best Picture at the seventy fourth Academy Awards? I, I sure do. All right, then let's talk about. A Beautiful Mind, directed by Ron Howard, produced by Universal and DreamWorks. Synopsis. After John Nash, a brilliant but asocial mathematician, accepts secret work in cryptography, his life takes a turn for the nightmarish. That's a really weak synopsis. I don't like that at all. Take it up with IMDb. Uh, the script was written by Avika Goldsman and was inspired by a best-selling Pulitzer Prize-nominated 1998 book of the same name by Sylvia Nassar. After producer Brian Grazer first read an excerpt from Sylvia Nassar's book in Vanity Fair, he immediately purchased the rights to the film. Whoa. Mm -hmm. The narrative of the film differs considerably from the events of Nash's life. <laughs> As filmmakers made choices for the sense of the story. Mm. The film has been criticized for this aspect, but the filmmakers said they never intended a literal representation of his life. Oh. Sylvia Nasser said that the filmmakers, quote, invented a narrative that, while far from a literal telling, is true to the spirit of Nash's story, end quote. Do you know all these details? Uh, Yeah, I read some of them. Should we save it for after the podcast? Well, I can, I can talk about them if you want me to. I didn't think that they were... They were the kind of details that I think would distract from a storyline more than gotcha. add to it. Okay. All, but it's just like one of my comments about, I don't know. Well, I there's guess, one major one, but I, I do think it's like a filmmaking movies. thing. 
He didn't actually have schizophrenia? He never had visual hallucinations. He only heard voices. Shut up. But I but think it's harder that's, to yeah, show. Harder you know to what convey. I mean? It's a lot easier to convey a visual. Especially when it's him battling it at the end, like towards right. the end. I agree. Okay. That makes sense. So what do you think of A Beautiful Mind, Devin? Um, you know, it's fine. <laughs> I This is a movie. I, I guess I saw this in theaters when it came out, which seems crazy. My parents would just take me to movies that I probably had no interest in. But that's what they well, did. Yeah, it's cheaper than finding babysitter. I, exactly. It's called yeah. being an only child. So yeah. <laughs> they were like, we want to see this movie. It's rated PG-13, so you get to come with us. Yeah. <laughs> that was my childhood. But um, And I remember liking it then. But maybe I was just like, and I think it's good. I'm going to stop qualifying it and just talk. So it was fine. <laughs> yeah, well, I know. But now I sound like rude that I'm like, oh, I liked it then. And now I don't. Like, I do. I like it. It's fine. <laughs> Your I, opinion is allowed to change from 12 to 29, okay? I know. I just think that maybe I like I was remembering it better because like, you know, when you're a kid, you're like, "Oh, I saw this like adult movie and I liked it and that makes me like yeah. a mature adult." Um I think that I think it's well done. I do like the choice it is a movie where you don't know what you don't know what it's actually about until probably about halfway through because there's that reveal which we've already alluded to that he's schizophrenic, but um, which I remember being like shocked by that. And again, when I was 12 years old and I do think like rewatching it now, like again, I knew it going into it, but I think it's like fairly obvious as well that no one else can ever interact with Paul Bettany. But um, I like the way that that, I do like that choice as far as a movie about this subject matter, because I think it does put you in the same shoes as the person suffering from schizophrenia was like, you think it's real too. So yeah, then you, get the, sure. you get the rug pulled off from under you the same moment that he does. Yeah. Um, I think it's well done. I think the performances are good. I'm not like a huge fan of Russell Crowe in general as a human being, but I think that he does a good job in this movie. Uh, Jennifer Connelly is great. She should always do is. more. Yeah. Like she do more. She does a lot. I know, but I just mean like I feel like it's the only time she's been nominated for an Oscar, and I just feel like she should do more when she gets nominated for Oscars. Hmm. Wasn't she nominated for um, what's that drug movie I hate? Requiem, Requiem for, a for a Dream. Dream. Yeah, uh, maybe. I don't know. She won for this. She won Best Supporting Actress for A Beautiful Mind. Oh, did she? Yes. Oh, awesome. Good for her. She she did she did kill this movie. She was great in it. Yeah, it was really good, and it was like it starts out where it seems like it's the kind of role where it's just the girlfriend slash wife, you know, but. It turns into like such a media role, and she does a really great job with it. Right. Um, those are all my thoughts at the yeah. moment. Okay, I'm like really upset at myself because I'm trying to remember this like profound thought I had the other night while lying in bed after we watched this movie, mm-hmm. and I can't for the life of me remember this profound thought. No, oh, that's the worst when you can't remember your profound thoughts. <laughs> I know, right? It's like <sighs> I'm like really disappointed. I'm like. It was something about his legacy. He like really cared about it. Mm-hmm. This sounds very profound so far. And then I know he gets the Nobel Prize in the end. Spoiler alert. It's also yes. facts. It's also just facts. <laughs> <laughs> and he thanks his wife. And he battled, you know, seeing these people. Damn. I don't know. I had some kind of profound thought and now I'm just all messed up about it. Why don't you talk about the movie? Maybe it'll come back to you. All right, hopefully. Um, 
I see. I remember also watching this movie as a kid, although I think it was on DVD or VHS or whatever we were watching at the time. Uh, not really liking it, but <laughs> I was also, you know, not into that. I was trying to watch, uh, you know, Monsters, Inc. and uh, Lord of the Rings. So, you know. <laughs> uh, but, like, uh, I don't think I just... It's mainly because I didn't understand what schizophrenia probably was at the time. Right. You know what I mean? But, uh, wow. I actually, yeah, I really enjoyed this movie for the most part, actually. I thought I did a lot of things really well. Um, very, very well, in fact. I was not looking forward to watching it. Was kind of pleasantly surprised. Uh, yeah, there's more I really, really want to say that I had a plan for this podcast, and it's like literally not coming to mind right now. I'm shooting. That's why you should write things down. I agree. Damn it. I'm like really upset. Um, but overall, I would recommend this movie. Um, I would. Ron Howard is a, a great job at direction, except for like a couple weird things stand out to me, but that's besides the point. Russell Crowe is awesome. Um, uh, Jennifer Connelly is also great. Really, the whole supporting cast is pretty. It's mm-hmm. pretty good. Paul Bettany's good. I like him too. Yeah, Paul Bettany's good. Him and Jennifer Connelly are in love, and it's beautiful. Yeah, and it kind of like after like six, the Sixth Sense that came out a couple years earlier, it kind of blends with that like style oh, of just like yeah, you know, and it, and it really does, and it gives you like another chance to kind of live in that world for a minute where. We know we're seeing things that they're not, and it does it in just like, you know, again, a pretty interesting way. Um, I would say The Sixth Sense is a lot more subtle about that, though. I thought in this movie it was like fairly obvious that no one else could see Paul Bettany. Whereas I thought The yeah. Sixth Sense was a little harder to figure that out. Well, it was. That was, I think, honestly, though, without Sixth Sense, I think Sixth Sense like prepped us. Almost for for how this movie was made, you know what I mean. I don't think this movie would have got made the way it is. Yeah. Without the sixth sense. That's true. It's just that's fair. Yeah. It's just a theory I have. I like it. I subscribe to it. Yeah. Um. Man, what was the profound idea I had though? Is really the problem I'm facing. Wow, this is gonna be boring for everybody listening. It sure is. I will say, like <laughs> when I was. <laughs> When I was watching it, you know, it is kind of um, the message of it. Like, obviously, it's based on a true story, but the message of it is like a little troubling that it's kind of like, oh, he just powered through his mental illness with no no drugs or therapy or anything like that, Um, which he did do, which is crazy. And in the movie, he has a line like later in the 90s. He says something about like he's taking the new medications and they actually included that line to make it less to make it like not seem that reckless. Like, you know, like, Oh, there are better medications now, but in reality, John Nash never took medication for his schizophrenia. He just like lived with it, which is insane. And he was a genius. So I guess that's why he could balance those things. But I thought that was interesting. Cause I was like, I was like, Oh, this is bad advice for schizophrenics. Yeah, I mean it's just bad for anyone with mental health. Anyone with mental general. health, like if your doctor thinks you should, you should. Do I will things, say, do like things. I think they kind of saved it with the line that was like, he said, "If you try to kill me, I should call him" or something like that. You know what I mean? Which I think meant like, I'll give him like one chance if he's like so sure he can try. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it took him like a lot to power through to do it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that was one of the other differences. Do you, oh crap! Do you want me to not do differences, or does it not matter? Probably not. I don't think it matters okay. for the point of this. No, but um, but man, it's still like a, it's just still a pretty cool story. It is a cool story, and I think it is super remarkable that this this genius who did you know, um, uh, 
you know, make lasting contributions to economics and all these other things also lived with this terrible disease. I mean, it's a fascinating story. It is the kind of story that like, you're like, yeah, it's like one of those things. Sometimes you're like, read stories with people and you're like, how is this not a movie yet? And then right. this, they That's made what it Brian to- Glazer said, and he immediately bought the book. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, it is, it's a very fascinating story. I think it's well done. So more can you ask? You know? I want to like know so like his whole thing. I mean, like I'm sure they gave us the most basic version of it for the movie, but the whole thing he discovers is that you benefit if you do it for the group and yourself. Yeah, it seems like the most simplified. Which I did read okay. that like a lot of mathematicians were like, "You really oversimplified that." Right? Because I'm just thinking like, <laughs> how did no one think of that first? You mean just like be good and don't only do things for yourself. Or for others. That if but you do benefit things for others, it'll benefit others. Yeah. So really, you just do things to benefit everyone, and then you're good. Right. It does seem like <laughs> very like what, And then simple. also, why did that take an additional like 40 years for him to get recognized? Yeah, I think it was a slightly more complicated than that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume so. Although I will say, uh, who, was the, who was the guy who was like his head at Princeton or whatever for a minute? Um, the actor. Like the, Josh Lucas takes his... Oh, who was it? The dude from Numbers. The dude from Numbers. Judd Hirsch. Oh, Judd Hirsch. Yes, yeah. Dude, he hands over this like groundbreaking theory to Judd Hirsch, and the Judd Hirsch is just like flipping through it, be like, "It's great. Yeah, you'll get any job you want." And you're like, "Maybe it is that simple. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's that know. simple. It's just come up with a groundbreaking theory, and then you can yeah, because this guy open all the doors." Okay, I'll ask you one question about reality. Did he actually never go to class? I don't know that because this movie right. proposes this motherfucker never went to class. Yeah, his whole thing was just to get like a theory published and proven, so then a of this place a place would hire him. Yeah, but he could still say he's like a Princeton student. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, but he never attended a class. Right. Which I think is hilarious. Well, I think he was operating on different. You know, he's smarter than no, than yeah, else. for sure. No, I, <laughs> I get it. I get it. Yeah. Just like the, it's not like the homework was posted online, you know what I mean? No. Like he had to. He wrote it on the windows for him, oh. and then he wrote it on his window. There you go. And then it was done. Yeah, this is that movie. If you can't quite pinpoint what we're talking about, it's the movie where he definitely writes on the windows. For some reason, that's one that stuck with me. I'm pretty sure it's like the poster. It's like, oh, is it? <laughs> I okay. Think so. It's just I knew Russell Crowe was writing on some windows in this movie. And then it was blatantly ripped off. For what? For the Social Network. Was it? Yeah. Doesn't he write in the window on that? When maybe he's coming maybe up that with was just a thing like Ivy League students do. Maybe. Maybe they just deface all their property. Yeah, they're I don't care. Arrogant, spoiled little bastards. Wow, Devin. There's some people that aren't. Do you think there's a lot of Ivy League people listening to our podcast? No. If you are, thank not. you so much. We are so happy that you're here. Give us a five-star review. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, Beautiful Mind, Rotten Tomato, audience score of 93% and a critic score of 75%. Mm, strong average. Uh, American Film Institute on their list of 100 Cheers ranked it at number 93, which I believe that's supposed to be like inspirational, feel-good movies. Yeah. At the Oscars, it was nominated in eight categories and won in four, including obviously Best Picture, Pretty good odds. Best Director for Ron Howard, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Supporting Actress for Jennifer Connelly. At the box office, it made $313 million. Well, who won Best Actor that year, then? Denzel Washington for Training Day. Oh, yeah, okay. Because King Kong, I believe, had nothing on him. I haven't seen Training Day, but I'm going to assume that's a good 
it's reference. A, the Ivy League kids are laughing their asses off right now. <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> All right. So this is the point in our podcast where we get to the point. <laughs> Kyle did the best picture winner deserve best picture. And oh, no. What deserved it? If you say Lord of the Rings. I know. And I can't believe I am saying it, but I am. <laughs> Lord of the Rings, fellow, or as Devin would say, Lord of the Ring, Fellowships of the Rings, uh, certainly deserve to win best picture. (laughs) (laughs) I, I mean, for what I said earlier, it's again, it's a masterclass. It really is. Uh, I I truly think, especially amongst these nominees, I'm not saying it's the best movie. You know, in fact, I have in our supplemental episode, I have a movie that I favor over Lord of the Rings. You know what I mean? That I think Mm -hmm. should win best picture. But Mm -hmm. um, Lord of the Rings certainly out of the best picture nominations. Should have won that year. All right. Do you want to ask me? Oh, Devin. Yes. Do you think they got it right? No. No. I I don't know. Yes and no. If I'm going with like my heart of hearts, what I would have loved in 2002 and 2019 to have won, it would be Moulin Rouge. <laughs> yeah, we know. But it's, I it's in your top 30. It is. And none of these other movies are. No. And, uh, but I'm okay with it not winning too. I can like see where it's not the kind of movie that would win Best Picture. I think it's like amazing that it was nominated for Best Picture. So, cause also like, I don't know if we covered this when we talked about it, but that movie is batshit crazy. Oh, it's, it is so insane. It's baz shit crazy. It's baz shit. Oh is my it, God. He should copyright that. Baz, if you're listening, <laughs> which he is, give us a five star review, Mr. Lerman. <laughs> Um, mm, but I don't know. I just feel like a beautiful mind is so it's like fine. And I just want my best picture winners to be more than fine. Amen, baby. And I honestly probably would be okay with fellowship of the ring winning also, because I do think that the achievements are notable. So what are you saying? I don't know. Gosford Park? Like, I don't know what you're going through here. Gosford Park you're going through all of them. also would have been a fine. I don't know if that should have won. No. It's a weird year. I'm fine with The Beautiful Mind winning, but I would have been, like, more fine with other movies winning. And I definitely think there's some movies that we're going to talk about in our supplemental that, like, should have been nominated and probably maybe won. If the Oscars were so snobby in 2001. Right. With, no. their, with their independent movies. Yeah, and ugh. Their, and then the second highest grossing film of the year. But They should have never brought a movie from Sundance into the Best Picture category. I'm serious. How did it take that long to get a Sundance like select movie into the best? And then why is it that one? There have and like like this did this start the trend? Because I mean, from here on out, there's like a ton. Yeah, you know what I mean. But the Sundance had been around 12 years prior to this year. You know what I mean? Like yeah, at least on the map as far as like Sex Lies and Videotape in 1989. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Which is the year we were born. If we keep reminding people that we're 29 years old, we're gonna lose validity. Okay, sorry, just kidding. We sound like young people. Are, are we young? We're not even young. You know what? We're not young. We're, we're high like school basically middle aged. I should be married with like four kids by now. So if it were like 1952, you would be. <laughs> um. So yeah, I guess my answer is that like, eh, like maybe that's my answer, if that's suitable enough for, for this this podcast. I think you make all the rules. So this is, is true. It's my enough? podcast, yeah. so I say it's fine. <laughs> I'm just a guest host every week. <laughs> every week. 
No, you're my co-host. Aw, you're the best. And in life. Oh. I know. I love you. I love you, too. Okay. All right, so that's our episode. Uh, we came in listening to the winner for best song. <laughs> she has no idea what we listened to. It was If I Didn't Have You from Monsters, Inc. Oh, that's cute. Mm-hmm. What are we leaving out on, Devin? Uh, we're going to leave out on the song that would have won if not for a technicality. Fellowship of the Ring theme. Come what may. Oh. From Moulin Rouge. We'll or maybe see. a different song from Moulin Rouge we'll because see. honestly added, there's better songs. Podcast, so we're, we'll see. we're going out on Moulin Rouge. You know what? You're always right. Thank you. This is why I've been a guy for seven years. Oh, wait. We have to say, so next week we're doing oh. a supplemental for movies that uh, came out in 2001 but weren't nominated for Best Picture, which those movies are going to be. Wait, do we always announce this? Yeah, because otherwise, what do people want to watch? Okay. Because they already know. They can we look don't up. announce every week what we do the next week. Yeah, but if you if we say like next week we're doing 2001, then people can look up what those movies were. They can't look up what random four movies we picked to do a supplemental. But do we do we always say what we're doing the next week though? Yeah, that's what we've been doing. Oh, really? Yeah. Damn. Until um, except for last last episode when we didn't do a supplemental, <laughs> oh, yeah. we didn't pick any because <laughs> the eighties suck right, for so movies, what, man. What are we doing next week? Next week we're going to be talking about the eighties. Not suck for movies, but I mean, we had a so rough eighty one. Both of the eighties that we've done so far have been awful. It was early eighties. Let's give the it early eighties some time. Awful. Okay. Okay. Um, next week we're going to be talking about the Royal Tenenbaums. Imama Itu Mama Tambien. Uh, I forgot what the other. Oh, Mulholland Drive and Ocean's Eleven. Sounds fun. Doesn't it though? Except yes. for Mulholland Drive. We'll see you then. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Strange enchanted boy. They say he wanders very far, very far over land and sea.